Okay, so I'm going to um, pray for us and we'll jump right in. <coughs> Father, uh, we thank you for this amazing letter of Paul's to the first, to the Thessalonians, and we thank you for all the wonderful, glorious truths that are written in it. And Lord, we want to do more than just to read those truths. We want to live them. We want to be faithful to them. So Lord, would you be with us this day and every day, and would you, by your Spirit, write these things upon our hearts? Would you make them things that we love, things that we believe, things that uh, we begin doing, ways that we begin loving. And Lord, um, in order to do that, we need you to be present. So I ask that you would be present with us today and that you would grow us as a church, that we might be a people set apart for you and for your purposes. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I think I'm on. I think, okay. So, okay. Well, this week I've been kind of standing back and looking over the whole letter of 1 Thessalonians because my job today is to kind of bring all the, these strands together and, and put them together that we might get a big picture of it. And so one of the things that happened to me as I was doing that is that I, as I, as I was reading all of this and, and reflecting on, on all the struggles and the relentless persecution that was happening in this little church. And I realized that I had never really focused on that. I knew it was hard times, but I had never noticed how full the, the troubles that this little church was going through. And so I kind of missed that. And I think one of the reasons I missed that is because Paul is so good about in the midst of those things that he always took us to hope. He always gave us that part of it. And I think my heart just kind of focused on that, that I just, I loved the part of hope. And so um, what I want us to do is to, to kind of look at, at those two parts that Paul gave us, because I think that Paul gives us this kind of wonderful dance of sorts in 1 Thessalonians. He gives us, first he, he shows us the reality of what is going on in the lives of, the, of this little church in Thessalonica and, and, and all the troubles that they face. And yet at the same time, he keeps reminding them of their hope. And I love that. And I love that. And he keeps, Paul, Paul keeps calling them. He never denies that they are struggling, but he keeps calling them to live faithfully in the midst of those troubled days that they were in. What was going on in, their, in that church? Well, they were living in the midst of this city, this pagan city. It was a huge city. Many of them had been part of it. They'd been part of the whole thing. And they had lived in, in the pagan part of the city. And, they, and now they had been called out, and they were part of this little church that was kind of an island. And so they were, they were in the midst of persecution because of who they were, because of what they were doing, because of this change that had come upon them. And they were facing that, and they were being called to live faithfully as they faced that. But there were other things going on in their church. They, 
they were facing relational problems in the church. There were those who were idle. Now, idle doesn't just mean that they were lazy. It was more than that. It meant that they were disruptive and they were undisciplined, and they were causing problems in the church. And Paul said what? He said, you need to admonish them. But there were others. There were others in the church who were faint-hearted, and and they were discouraged. And Paul said, and maybe it was because of persecution, and Paul says they need encouragement. As a church, you need to bring them encouragement. And then there were those who were weary, who... and they needed help, Paul said. You need to help them. And, and some commentators believe that, that this might have been slaves who had become Christians. And they were in the midst of all these people. And, and they didn't know how to live in this kind of situation. And so Paul is saying they needed help. But there was more that they were going through. They were facing several deaths in their midst, which was causing them much confusion and concern. And so all of those persecutions were going, all those things were happening in this new little church. And Paul's going to address those things. And yet, at the same time, we have these beautiful, hopeful passages that Paul unfolds for them and for us through them about the coming of the Lord Jesus. And if you stand back, you realize what Paul is doing. Paul is teaching them and teaching us about the already and the not yet reality of being a believer. He is helping them and us to understand how to live in that tension. And so the question is, what do we do where we are as we live in the midst of that tension? Because things are hard, and Paul says, but things are hopeful. And that's the tension we have to live in. Jesus says in John 16, 33, he says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Don't you love that passage? In that verse we have the two sides of our story. I think we, we always especially love the part on the coming of the Lord Jesus. When I read those and when we studied those last week, didn't you love doing that homework and having Kay come in and explain those things. Didn't you love that? And it was so peaceful and it was so calm and it was just beautiful. And I think one of the reasons that those things are so precious to us as it was to the, the, this first century church is because that is our longing too. What was true of them, the longing they had is our longing. And and it is, it is the thing we hope for. It is the thing that keeps us steady when things get really hard. We think about, but someday, someday Jesus is going to come again. And those are the things that raise us up. It's kind of like a picture of coming home at the end of a long journey. It's kind of like, like we're coming home from a war. The war is over and we'll be home with Jesus. And that's what we want. But, but. The war is not over yet. And I love that connection that we have with that little church at Thessalonica, that that we can reach across time and we can, in a sense, hold hands with them in a sense of hoping and longing. And we, like them, would like Jesus to come today. We would like that. 
but we don't know the times. Paul says you're, it's not for you to know the times or the days because you know what would happen. You just focus on that. But Paul says, no, it's not that. But you are going to be with the Lord forever. But in the meantime, in the meantime, you have to live faithfully. But we love those because that's the promise of all promise and the hope of all hopes. And, and we share that with that little church in Thessalonica. But here's what I, I want us to kind of focus on right now today. And that is, it's not only those passages that, we, that are important for us. It is also the passages that Paul wrote that challenged the little church in Thessalonica to live faithfully in the midst of a broken and rebellious world, to live faithfully as they waited, that we, as we wait, are to live faithfully. You see, that was Paul's dance that he was doing. That was what he was unfolding. Yes, we are to keep our eyes on the heavens. We are to expect Jesus to come. We want him to come. And we are to have that hope always before us, but we are to live as who we are already in Christ as we wait. There is a purpose for Christ's delay. We don't know what it is, but there is a purpose. And we, as we wait, are to be faithful. We are to do that. Romans 8, 24 and 25 says this, For in this we hope, for in this, this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. I love that. Because I love that our hope is so sure, and yet we don't see it yet, but we can wait for it with patience because we know it's coming. Because we know it's coming. One commentator wrote this, and this is what Paul is showing us. He says, Paul shows us that our hope is to inform the way we live now. We can live faithfully because there is something so beautiful coming, something so infinitely glorious and so certain that we can live faithfully if we just put our trust in him. I don't know about you, but when I think of, when I begin to think of that in that way, it does encourage me. It does make me want to live faithfully, not just getting by, not just, just, going through the motions, but really living joyfully and faithfully. Paul puts it this way in 1 Thessalonians 4.1. He says, Finally then, brothers, we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God just as you are doing, do so more and more. That's what he's saying. Do so more and more. Don't ever settle. Don't ever think that, that there isn't more power available for you to live faithfully, do so more and more. And so I want us to think about that together, to think about what that really means in our church. In our church, as we face sorrows and troubles, we've had lots of those. And yet, and we have not been facing much persecution, but there are signs that that's coming. And so I think that what we want to think about is how we can live out of that hope, not only in our sadness, but also in persecution when it comes, and to do so still more and more. To think what it meant to the little church in Thessalonica and what it means to us to live in, faith, in this faith 
as our, this family at Fort Worth Press as we wait? What are we supposed to look like? Are we living as faithfully and powerfully as we are meant to be living? Don't get me wrong, I think there's a lot of wonderful things going on in our church. But are we doing so still more and more? So I'm going to ask some questions. I'm just going to throw out some rhetorical questions and let's think about them. Is there something that we are missing individually or corporately as we live in this hope? Have we lost our courage? Have we lost our courage to be bold? Courage to step out in faith in places that are not comfortable? Are we willing to put ourselves out there? Are we seeking to reach out and do more? Have we grown weary? Has our faith wavered? As we are waiting, what should this church body look like? Are we loving one another? Even in hard times, are we loving and forgiving and cheering each other on? Are we loving our neighbors? Are we praying? Are we a praying body? Let me just tell you a few things that are going on. Jane Hoot, every Sunday, is up in the bridal room. And during Sunday school, and many are joining her, I guess. I don't know how many yet. But she is praying for our worship service and for the people who come and for the unbelievers who come. And she was praying for the power of the word to go forward. I mean, that is a great thing. And you're free to join her. And we should be joining her. And we should be praying for those things. There's another thing. What about Candace had this idea about Super Wednesday and all of these things. And we have, what is it, 90 kids? I forget how many. It's a huge number of kids that are coming. And they expect more to come. And that's going on because someone had hope, and they put that hope to effect, and it's doing amazing things. Do we care, last, after um, Darwin's wonderful sermon last week, and he, he talked about, do we really care about the lost? And in our small group, we began talking about that, and we had to ask the question, do we really care that there is an unspeakable judgment coming among us, that there is going to be a horrible judgment. Do we care that there is a judgment coming and many people are going to be lost in that judgment? Are we willing to go out and to share the gospel so that they will not be caught in that judgment? Is that part of our thought process? Another question we might ask is this. Is prayer one of the most central things that we do? Is it breath to us? Paul says, pray without ceasing. Always pray with that attitude of prayer. Always be with that attitude of prayer. One thing we're taught in this section today is that we need to be upholding our session in prayer. We need to understand these are just men, and they're sinful men, and they make mistakes, and they need your prayers. Are we praying for them? Are we praying for the work that they're doing? There's all kinds of things that go on. There's broken marriages. There are moral failures. There are sicknesses and, and deaths that are going on. Are we praying for them to be strong and to be faithful and to be prayers themselves? We need to be praying. That's what Paul tells us. Be praying for them. There are going to be attacks upon them, and we need to be praying for them. 
would, if Paul came today to our church, would he commend us for our work of faith and our labor of love and our steadfastness of hope as he commended the first Thessalonians, the first Thessalonians, the Thessalonians? Would, would he commend us for that? In other words, is the work we are doing corporately and individually the consequence of our faith in Jesus Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit? Or are we working? Are we working because we cannot help ourselves? Is our faith, will our faith not let us be still? Or are we just doing things in our own power? Someone asks us to do something, we say, okay. Are we just going through the motions? And again, I say, I think one telling hint of that is, do we pray before we act? In our meetings, do we start with a period time of prayer? Is that the most important part of that meeting? And if we didn't get our agenda covered, are we still praying? Is that, does that become the most important thing we are doing? Are we passionately needed? Are we so suspicious of ourselves and desperate for, power, for the power of Christ that we must pray? Or is it just praying kind of because that's what we do? We open with prayer. We close with prayer. But it is, is it really our passion? Is it our deep belief, Lord, we can't step out of here without you. We won't step out of here without you. Is that what we are doing? Do we have that? Are we praying unceasingly? Second, is what we are doing flowing from love? Is love overflowing from our hearts as we labor on? Or are we complaining? Or are we critical? Are we dividing into groups? Are we choosing sides? Are we gossiping? Are we too busy with the world? Those are questions we need to be asking ourselves. Are we loving one another? Are we loving the world? Is love flowing out of us because we have the Holy Spirit living in us? Is that happening to us? Finally, are we steadfast because we have this amazing hope? And does that hope define how we live our days? You see, the question really needs to be, how shall we be living? How shall we be living? If the Lord came today, what would you want him to find you doing? Now, I, I'm going to do something different right now. I'm going to remind you of the gospel, and then we're going to talk through that. One commentator said this, the gospel story is always the unmovable fence around us. Nothing will ever separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Nothing. So that gospel story has to be what identifies us, what sends us, what, what keeps us focused on everything. So here it is. Before the foundation of the world, God set his love upon us. And it was determined that Jesus would come, would become a man and come to earth. And in the fullness of time, the eternal second person of the Trinity took on flesh. And he came and he lived a perfect life. And he loved with a perfect love. God's son, God the son came to serve, not to be served. God the son came to serve, not to be served. He came to be the servant of all. 
and he poured himself out into everything he did, and he did everything for us. And then he suffered and died for our sins on the cross. He hung naked on the cross, and he was falsely accused, and it was a horrific death. And when he died, the father turned his face away as he bore our sins. He fully paid for everything. All of our sins were fully paid for on the cross. And he died and he conquered death, and he was in the grave three days. And the stone was rolled back, and he rose again. And death had no more sting. It was gone. The sting of death was gone. And he rose again, and he ascended into heaven, and he even now is praying for us at the right hand of the Father. Now that's the gospel, isn't it? It's much more beautiful than that, but I want to ask you a question. What part did you play in that? We did nothing. We did nothing. And God has said that he loved us that much, and he has given us that hope. It's all finished. It's finished. That's what is our hope. That is our certain hope. And we can put our whole faith and our whole life in him and everything. But I want to tell you something else. He wasn't finished. There came a moment just before Jesus ascended into heaven to be with his father, that having accomplished all things for our redemption, do you know what he said to the apostles? He said, don't depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the father. And then he said to them, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. In John, it says this, Jesus says this, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You will know him because he dwells with you and he will be in you. And then, a, little, a verse later, he says, you will know him because, now then he says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will send you a helper. And he did that day in Pentecost. And the and spirit came with power and the church was born. And the church was made up of only those who had put their faith in Jesus Christ as their only hope in life and in death. And it was not faith in what we do but it was faith in what he has done. So what is the purpose of the church? The purpose of the church is in very specific ways to be the body of Christ. We are to show him forth. We are to be his, his feet and his hands and his love poured out through us. We are to be the instruments of that that communicates Christ to this broken world. The church is meant to be the picture of a renewed humanity that Christ has brought forth. It is true. We are a new humanity. We are saved in him. And we cannot do that. And we can do that because the Holy Spirit dwells in us. Oh, it won't be perfect. We're not perfect. But the Holy Spirit is dwelling in us and we are new creations. And we need to show forth that to the world. That's what we're called to be. It's this church here, this church. Francis Schaeffer writes this. He says, he says, there are two humanities. And he says that there 
is to be a definite difference. There are those who are still at war against God, and there are those who, by God's grace, have returned to him on the basis of Christ's work. And by the Spirit, the church is to be the reality and the exhibition of this distinction in every generation. Is there a distinction? That's what we have to ask. Do we believe that we have the power to make a difference? Do we believe that God will go with us? That there is a power in us that we step out in faith, but something is going to happen when we step out in faith? Or have we quenched the Holy Spirit? Have we dampened his power? Are we not believing that that is available to us? How are we living faithfully out of our hope, our hope that we belong to Jesus because we believe he has done everything for us and we live out of that hope that he is coming again and he is making all things new? You see, that was what Paul was trying to get the Thessalonians to see. Yes, you're living in hard times. Yes, persecution is coming. But there's a power available to you to live in this world. I want to just close simply with these, these little truths that are ours because we are in Christ and because the Holy Spirit has come. When the Holy Spirit came, Jesus said, you will have power. Therefore, go forth and make disciples. He says we have that power. With the coming of the Spirit, there will be fruit. There is a fruit in us that the Holy Spirit has planted. And the fruit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Are we watering that? Are we working on that? Are we asking that fruit to grow in our hearts? That's The Holy Spirit brings us. There will be fruit. That's our truth. There are things that, in this world, that should be different because we are here. There is in us, not only has the Holy Spirit given us these things, but the Holy Spirit has promised that we each have certain gifts. And we are supposed to use those gifts for the common good. Are we doing those things? Those are the things that should be going on. And these should be... There should be something about us that when people come in, that we want them to say, see how they love one another. That we want them to say there's something different here. That's what we're called to do. That's what we as, as women in this church are called to do. So how does Paul close his letter? Well, he closes it with a benediction, a blessing. This is how he writes. He says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful and he will surely do it. And our call is to live in the midst of of that benediction that his blessing has been poured out upon us through Paul and we can live in the surety of what he has promised. Let me pray for us. Father, uh, would you give us the faith to believe that? Would you give us a renewed trust in the power of the Holy Spirit 
Would you let this church rise up and let us just grow in love and faithfulness and let us love the lost, let us love your truth, and let us be faithful as we wait for Jesus to come today. Even if it's today, Lord, let us be found faithful. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.